water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Artenders. This is Danny Lavelle, and I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Mac Welch. Howdy. We do this podcast in order to learn, observe, and grow as artists, you know, each and every week. Uh, just, you know, we choose something to view, and we watch it, discuss, and enjoy it, of course. And so for this week, per Mac's suggestion, we watch the first season, or book, as they call it, of the TV show... Avatar, The Last Airbender. In this first season, it follows the protagonist, Aang, who is the titular Last Airbender and the Avatar, meaning he is the master of four different elements. Um, but he hasn't learned um, the rest of those elements. He only knows air, so he travels with his new friends, Katara and Sokka, uh, in, throughout this season in order to go about and learn water as his next element. And throughout this, he is also being pursued by this man named Zuko and his uncle, who um, is the prince, Zuko is the prince of the Fire Nation, who is this sort of evil empire now. Um, and Aang's duty is to learn these elements as soon as possible in order to stop the conquest of the fire nation and bring a harmony between the four nations of water earth fire and air and so with that big summary what an excellent summary what a good I tried, summary i tried <laughs> very concise <laughs> not not a funny summary but like this the bare bones sort of like this is kind of what happens here money that was money so this show premiered uh in 2005 if i'm not mistaken and weird I want to ask you, Mac, uh, how do you feel this show holds up compared to 2005 and 2020 and where you are in your life, too? really stands up, that's for sure, uh, uh -huh. in a much different way. I didn't realize that it was one of those shows that played and pandered to parents as well as kids, but in just much different ways, because there are plenty of shows just like that, but this one it does an especially good job of it because it talks so much about like government and culture and, and, and power and whatnot. So what's so interesting, I think, is that the dialogue mm -hmm. and the concepts and the world panders to kids while the actual, like, well, the actions and the roles pander a little more to the, the adults. So being more on the adult side now, I'd say it, it, it holds up, but just in a, in, a, in a much different way, in a much different way than 
Um, I, I remember it being, was there anything specifically different that you noticed? Because I, you didn't really watch it the first time around, but was there anything that you were shocked by that you found specifically interesting this time around? Yeah. So as you said, I didn't really watch much of the show um, when I was younger. I only have seen a few episodes of it, so I can't really speak to the series as a whole. Um, and this is actually my first time starting really the series, you know, as a series and not just something that would just be on TV that I would put on. I I mean, I found it to be enjoyable and I was also surprised by the more adult themes. And, and, and one point that I kind of want to hold on to was the theme of culture, which was, which is such, I think one of the biggest themes throughout this show is the idea of, in order to succeed, I guess, as as a nation and going about and but in order to do so, destroying the culture of other places, of other people, what's the cost of that? And I, that's a question that's consistently asked throughout the show. And that and that's a really big question, too, at the end of the season when we're looking at when the trio arrive at the Northern Air Temple is, is a very good example that this this old home that Aang used to visit, or at least like yeah, was part of his people, was now transformed into this sort of steampunk sort of temple. Like it it's really jarring for him. And so the question multiple times throughout the episode is asked like you you use this and this is your home now, but you destroyed what made this place this place. And then it goes further into detail when commander excuse me admiral zhao now at the at the very end of the season is attacking uh the water tribe in in the north pole and sets out to kill the moon spirit so like what's the cost of like sacrificing that culture right of sacrificing a huge identity in a people in order to 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 to, to bring oneself to higher heights and so that's that's a question that I enjoyed that the show consistently asked, and it seemed to be that the consistent answer was like there wasn't like a black and white answer, you know. There was like a give and take, you know, if that mm. makes sense. Well, one thing that's really interesting that the show does it's it's it has it does a very interesting job of world building. The world that it decides to be is is a it's a mm-hmm. really interesting one, a very intriguing one for a lot of different reasons. But one thing that it does is that instead of just making up whole other things, and instead of making up an entirely un- unknown world, like Lord of the Rings does, where it's it, it, 100% fictional, it's only like 50% fictional, this world. It draws so much influence and really does try to mm-hmm. um, ground itself in things that are known, I, I suppose, out of a, a sort of respect to the, to the influences that it has. Um, but one thing that it does in... In doing so, it does not try to draw inspiration from any one specific culture. It um, it uses the Japanese language several times. It uses the uh, uh, Mandarin language several times. The the fighting styles cover so many different, um, so many different cultures and and different peoples um, over history. What do you think about that? What What do you think about it's a grouping yeah. of all of these things together. It's um, influences that it's taken from 
from the world that we know and in its world building that it tries to do. Uh, I want to I I'm I w- I'm going to want to discuss the sort of 50% sort of like actual um nonfiction, but but we'll, but we'll get there. Uh, I will say though that I enjoy this show being a very big amalgamation of like East Asian, South Asian, uh, Inuit culture and making a very much so believable world out of that that the world itself stands on its own and so when every when each new episode starts i'm always really curious as to like okay how are they now broadening this world and like and i think lord of the rings is a different but good example in the in the sense of world building where we have Tolkien construct such an interesting uh, structure um, in this world, in this world building, that um, the nuances and the the interactions between people and culture and how they celebrate culture in and of themselves. I don't know. Like, it's... I'm, I'm saying a whole lot of nothing right now. But all of it... <laughs> all of it to say that this show is cool and it's, it's, it's a nice exercise of like creativity at the at the very least while still being true and taking inspiration from different groups of people and i think honoring them in a beautiful way so but i want to i want to touch on why do you think this show is necessarily like 50 percent nonfiction? that was yeah well why is that because i i think that it's uh the actual world that they live in is one that's that's pretty historically mm-hmm. um, rooted. That there's 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 a lot of things that it it, it doesn't ever attempt to um, sell you something that's entirely different until you get into the the sequel series with Legend of Korra. That that that's its own thing. The way that they like they even openly accept that that at some points in the series that they are uh, that they are tied to Buddhist mm-hmm. culture and they use the Buddhist like monks as, as, as a very prevalent part of the, of the series. So, so even though the result is different, the result is these kids being able to bend elements, mm-hmm. these results being able to like, there's, there's like a, like a different geographical setup or like there's spirits that they, that they live amongst or whatever. A, a lot They're, of these motifs that are drawn from real right. world elements, even though the, the results are a fictional thing, the ground is non-fictional. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that actually kind of, kind of goes into my 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 sizzle serve oh okay so right. w- would you like to explain yeah. this new bit that we're trying um so sizzle serve is a, a, a new a new bit that we're trying on the show that is basically we both take turns giving a take that we think is so ridiculously hot sizzling off the press that it is going to knock the other person's socks off and hopefully spark an interesting debate. But it's it's also a take that we believe in. Like we're not just saying a take to say a take. No, no, no. Right. We have to back so, up. So this what is something that I actually believe about this show. Yes. And 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 you know that I'm 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 a big prefacer, so I'm going to preface this. Okay. Although I don't think the world itself is necessarily the best world that I've seen from a television series, I think that this television series does a better job right. of world building and of setting up the world and introducing you to the world than any other television series that I have ever seen in my life. All right. Um, the, 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 so like that makes me, I want to disagree. <laughs> I can't think of a more interesting example or like, are, are you, are you, right. so you're saying that 
so this show does a better job at world building or you yourself are most interested in the building of this world. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. So, I, I, again, I, I, I like the actual world itself, whenever you look at the world that they have built, do I think it is the best? Not necessarily. Do I think that there's a couple holes there? A, a little bit, yeah. But we'll get to that once we cover the book two and book three and Legend of Korra and everything. But mm. I think that the way that it introduces you to things, the way that every single episode you learn something new and interesting and almost, like, world-shattering about the world that, like, opens you up to a whole different thing, the way that the characters interact with the world and how you end up learning about, about the world around you. I... The series, especially in book one, but the whole time, it's ne it never stops teaching you about the world that you are living in, which I think is the strong point of the show and the most interesting hook of the show i think that's also a big issue with the show and you're yes i see you smiling interesting well, i like it i like it because I, like I think it. a big issue with this show is that it doesn't the show very much so knows what it is right it knows that it's a kid show yeah. but it knows also that it's dealing with like crazy oppression and politics right and how it bl how it blends together is a very interesting and beautiful way but this show is only about 23 minutes long each episode. This show could not possibly have enough time to really take care of each individual episode's unique characters and unique situations. I think a very good example is the episode The Great Divide. Ooh, that I, I can't even remember I can't even remember the the exact uh, names of the two different tribes that it's dealing with. I'm going to look into it right now. Um, but that sh that episode doesn't give enough time to those individual parties. It is the Ganjin and the Zheng. Of course, with 23 minutes, when you're trying to focus on the development of at least Aang and or Katara and or Sokka, and then you're also trying to introduce these new elements in this world and what's going on and kind of like how how does that how does this have to do with um, the ongoing turmoil in the world plus then we have these two individual tribes um who are dealing with each other who have a long history with the individual characters in there who don't get a lot of the development which is kind of an issue here and there and then also the tour guide like there's not enough time for each episode for this show to really plant its feet in a in a character or in a people in a situation, um, and that's and I don't even think that's that's the only situation. Mm -hmm. You think that they maybe bit off more than they can chew? I think so. Yeah. Um, do I blame that on uh -huh. the showrunners? No, because they probably had if they wanted this show to get off the ground, then they probably had no other situation but making it into a very digestible twenty three minutes put on commercials, make it 30. Um, that's probably the situa situation that I think sure. happened. But that doesn't mean the show is better for it, you know. Mind you, then there's a really fine line to that. Mm -hmm. And the big thing that I think about is a lot of Game of Thrones episodes, uh, I, when I think about them, are very uh, interpolitically connected and talks a lot about politics and so is politics interesting 
sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And I felt that at the beginning of the show, the politics weren't that interesting, but kind of like halfway through when like things started happening to like each individual group and how they were all interconnected. Then I thought the show was really interesting. Um, but that show was allowed to do that and had the ability to do that for the most part uh, until the very end because it was split up into these uh, 45 minute blocks. And so having double that time is such a big aid when you yeah. are trying to develop not only your characters and make the audience care about them, but also care about the world and the situation that they're living in. So, yeah. I'd, I'd like to talk about what that – dive a little bit deeper with that, that, that specific topic and the uh, structural repercussions that it has on the way that they tell the story mm -hmm. um, whenever we uh, come back. So first we're going to take a quick – uh, a quick little listen to our sponsor, yeah? You got it. All right, and we are back. We are back to the discussion on Avatar The Last Airbender, book one. Now, what we were talking about before we left was the uh, movement of information, correct? Your relationship with uh, uh, character mm -hmm. arc how you're given information on characters and how you think that might hinder the show because it's really short episodes, very, very short episodes. And, and they're palatable, but they're short, so you don't um, get get hooked that hard. Um, they and, and you think they might have bit off more than they can chew. Now, I think that that is a product of... Let me say it like this. Sorry. Let me say it like this. Right. They had a choice very early on as to whether they were going to be an episodic series where there's a story for each episode, and very slowly you get the journey, okay. almost like a sitcom. Or they could do a series-long or season-long arc, because whenever you have like a 23-minute show like this on Nickelodeon with that, with that slot, you either have to go episodic or you have to go like full balls-to-the-wall commitment to one story for an entire season or entire series. They did both. They decided to do both. They were like, we're going to have a very subtle but always present and always focused yeah. larger arc. And how we get to that thing is explored in each episode's full story. Right. And in doing so, yeah, they did. Uh, you split up the episodes into the parts of the episode where I learned stuff about the main characters and the parts of the episode where I learned stuff about the not main characters and what we have to do to help them. And that does take away quite quite a bit of time to... I experience things with other mm -hmm. with 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 the main characters, but I will say, but I will say, I'd be interested to come back after we watch the full series and talk about what what loose ends there were with the main characters because yeah. I don't think there are really any, and I think they do do um, a kind of strange job of um, there's certain information that they just want to simplify because they're like no one really gives a shit about that. So, so like for instance, like 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 a perfect way of making um, Fire Lord Ozai as scary as possible is just like we're just never going to give you information about him. We're well, only going to learn about him through uh, through Zuko, and and through Iroh, and through Iroh, and through and through uh, um, characters later on in the series. Yeah, but that that's going to be it, and they do that with a lot of characters. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there are any loose ends. Oh well, I. But, it... Oh yeah, go ahead. 
the loose ends that I think about, right, are characters that aren't that have their own like little episodes episode that aren't fully explored, and it seems like we're not going to see them again. I think Haru is a good example. Mm. Um, and the other uh Earth Tribe oh, wow. uh, villagers. Yeah. In, I can't even remember the episode name, but it was like, oh, shoot. Imprisoned. It was the episode titled Imprisoned. It was a sixth episode and just barely on it. Mm-hmm. And that seemed like yeah. the sort of character where we're not going to see again. Um, But but it was interesting when he was on screen how at least he affected uh, Katara as a character. But and, and so like that was more so like an episode for Katara. Right, but that doesn't make me disinterested in the development of his character. I think another even better example is the character of Jet, Very, where Jet's yeah. a really interesting character. Um, that he's kind of like the Fire Nation, um, ideology, where everything is a means to an end. Um, that he's like doing the right thing, but in order to get to the right thing, he knows that he has to do wrong things. And mm-hmm. that's just that, I mean, as a sort of role that a character plays, that is always super interesting because there's a lot of nuance in there and is not as clear cut as somebody, the vast majority of the time, like Aang and like Katara, that are just like pure people, you know, except yeah. for singular moments throughout the season so if we are never to return to those characters why did we spend like a whole half an episode to, to, to learn about them and so them? i mean i i feel that and so like yes why do we spend you know this whole half an episode getting to know them and at the same time like i know why we did only getting to know them was a means to an end of getting to know ang katara Sokka, sometimes zuko yeah uh, so like i understand but i that doesn't like yeah, I understand that the strategy, I guess, behind that and the 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 what they were trying to go for behind that, but that doesn't necessarily make the show better because we still lose out uh-huh. on these potentially very interesting characters. What what was your what was your sizzle serve? Well, my sizzle serve. Uh, I'll just go very briefly into it uh i think this show would be better and more narratively interesting if we just followed zuko the whole time oh i like that take i like that take a whole lot because i understand what this show is trying to serve right as we said this show was on nickelodeon it's a at the end of the day at the very end of the day even though an adult can watch this show this show is designed to also appeal to children so, it's difficult to have this show follow the sort of redemption arc. Um, and it's very clear that he's going to have a redemption arc uh, that Zuko is experiencing. And this sort of... Why is it clear? Because, of course, like, when when you take a cookie cutter of an anti-hero, Zuko is, like, the perfect anti-hero. Zuko is it. He, like, he right. fits all of, like, the boxes. Like, it, if anti-hero right. was as trope of it like as can be Zuko would be it I think Zuko's progression as a character is infinitely more interesting than Aang than Katara and Sokka's combined and I know that like once I like I said how the show is designed that we ought to follow those three characters this show as a whole I think would be better if we followed Zuko because 
because of Zuko's backstory, because of what Zuko has to deal with then and what he has to deal with currently. And you can already tell the growth of his character, right? The sort of like end game, right? So Aang's end game is learning all the elements so he can stop the Fire Nation and bring peace and harmony throughout the world. Cool. Whatever. That's neat. What makes Zuko so interesting and and Iroh cool, whatever <laughs> Iroh talks a lot about this. I cannot remember which episode exactly. I think I'm ooh, not sure. But when Iroh is talking to crew members of the ship that they're on, and so Iroh knows that even if Zuko finds Aang, like he he retrieves the avatar and brings it. Uh, to his father to to get respect and honor back because Zuko was banished for like speaking up even though he was right even if Zuko gets the avatar that doesn't mean like he wins right and is and is that how you so would separate seasons? I think I say so what is that how you would separate seasons if Zuko was the protagonist it's like he, he gets the thing he thinks he needs and that's not enough and so he the next season is getting another thing that he thinks he needs that's not enough. Exactly. Right. And I th- and I think that's infinitely more interesting growth of a character. Um I always think um the characters that have to really deal with things on a on a deep personal level are so much more interesting than than characters well, that, okay, that, I, will, I will say that's a little bit unfair considering that Katara and Sokka's mother was killed and that Aang was trapped in this bubble for 100 years and his entire world has changed. So that, that's a little bit unfair. But, but, but I think the deep contrast between what Zuko is trying to be and, uh, and wants to be and who he actually is would make for a much more interesting show and a show that would be uh, much more, I think, worth the investment. I don't think the show is bad. I still find the show to be enjoyable. And the show would be, I would say, grittier at the very least if it just followed Zuko. But I think the show, at the end of the day, would be better. I would agree if it weren't for the episode style. If the episodes were longer, I'd be 100% down, and I would totally agree that it should be Zuko that we're centered around. But if we're talking about the run into a situation, we all have to solve it together, and learn something about ourselves along the way, type of type of structure, and the 23 minutes, I think that, I think that you kind of have to go with a more simple and understandable protagonist like Aang. Yeah, and I, like, like I said, I understand the situation that the show is in. <laughs> that doesn't mean the show could be better. Yeah. But that, but that is that's my sizzle. That's my serve. So, so does I that think. does that lead into your gold medal? Yes, in in some ways, yes. So, um, another bit that we're trying this week is gold medal, and we give each of us have a gold medal, and we want to give it to a character or maybe a person involved with the show that we feel deserves this gold medal. And I think mine is going to be a little bit of an interest, interesting pick because I don't think this character got enough love throughout the season, and it seems like at the end of the season we're not going to see this character again. I am going to give my gold medal to, to oh my god I almost butchered his name I'm going to give my gold medal to Zhao interesting 
Oh, that that's a that's a fucking sizzle serve. Uh, Zhao? Okay. Um, Zhao. Big Y. Uh, aside big from y. him having the best the best uh vocal performance, okay. like as an actor, uh, I think he was played by like I think he was played by Jason Isaacs. I want to be so right. <laughs> Don't we all? But but what makes Zhao really interesting is that we get a little bit of backstory on Zhao. Very little, yeah. Very little, but enough to kind of make us like understand like who he is as a person, how he thinks, and how he he views the world, his worldview. But and what makes Zhao the most interesting is how he serves as a character to both Zuko and Iroh. And so when we get the characters with a little bit more Zhao progression, I'm always interested in that. Like, for example, Zhang Zhang being uh, Zhao's old master that we find out in the episode The Deserter mm. says a lot about Zhao as a person. And I think, I think Zhao is a terrific antagonist where we don't, we don't feel bad for Zhao at all. We don't like Zhao at all. I don't like Zhao at all. And I, it's very clear you're not meant to. Um, but I like him in the sense of a character and what he serves to the other characters and primarily what he does and how he pushes Zuko. Um, I think if I had a silver medal, I would give it to Iroh, but I feel like that's obvious because Iroh is just the greatest wise old men and I love wise old men. Totally agree. Um, but I think Zhao was underappreciated and underutilized. And I think everybody knew he was a great character, but they didn't use him enough i don't think mm-hmm. um who was your gold medal well i'm well zhao is still just so interesting and i uh because we get enough of zhao for me to just really want more of zhao yeah i could and i could see why that would make you want that want to give him the gold medal and also because they, they, they're very good about easter eggs with Zhao. they're very good about like here's a tiny piece of information that if you really think about it hard enough you'll learn a lot about Zhao. yeah which which honestly kind of leads into uh, leads in, leads into my gold medal as well kind of for a similar reason um funny enough i think my gold medal for the first season goes to appa Ooh. which is <laughs> the flying bison that <laughs> ang flies around on with his friends that purely because, in kind of in a weirdly similar way, you learn very little Why? about him. You don't really know anything about him. One sec, you don't know anything about him. He can't fucking talk. Like, there's there's very little to say about him, but for some reason, he still has a clear personality, a very clear place in the show, contributes to the plot cons- very consistently, is constantly a, a, a savior for them. Contributes to the plot. Good. I want to tackle that one. You, oh, yeah? You think so? Okay. Yeah. Why do you... Well, I like... Listen, I think Appa is a vehicle in the literal and figurative sense. <laughs> and I don't think anything more than that. What do you mean contributes to the plot? How, how many times? How many fights can you think of that happened where they would have been okay without Appa? They would have just... They desire. She saved the day, like, like, like over half the time. But that doesn't. But that doesn't necessarily make him a good character. He's just a MacGuffin. Then. Oh, like like something that you would want to buy into, but like you're just never gonna get any more information on. 
Yeah, well, I mean, at least, oh, so, like, in this first season, right, like, we don't get a lot of information on Appa. We, we have no idea how Aang and Appa met. We just know that Aang has Appa. I'm, I'm not sure. It seems like we find out in the Winter Solstice episodes that, like, each avatar has their own, like, spirit animal that, like, sort of guides them. Um, that, uh, Roku had a dragon, and so Aang has a flying bison. Uh, which is just funny enough on its own. I will admit that it's really funny. He just has a flying bison. Um, but we, we don't know anything about Appa. So I have a hard time being like, Appa's really important to the plot. Because, like, Appa is just a means so that Aang, starting at the South Pole, can get to the North Pole quickly and efficiently. And within a reasonable amount of time. Do you not think that there's any emotional support or that Appa is some sort of emotional support system for Aang? I think in some ways, but I but even if I say yes, I don't think the show itself actually supports that. I think it's possible, but I don't think we see enough of Appa being that system for Aang. That I don't, like I said, I don't see Appa being more, anything more than a vehicle. There's there's also, though, a very interesting thing that it does where it, it does such a good job of humanizing and, and characterizing Appa. And, and there are several times where, like, without words, simply, like, by, like, the most simple animation and actions, Appa becomes a person. Are you invested in Appa as a character? Yeah. Okay. I am. <laughs> You're like then I then then you need help. <laughs> you you do you I <laughs> I think Appa's cool. Appa's fun. Appa's relatively interesting. I mean, just look at him. He has six legs. Um, but he's not the gold medal. But as a character, hmm. yeah, as okay. a character, I don't think he really serves the story. But that you know, that's what I think. <laughs> uh, so. Briefly, uh, before we get into what we're going to view for next week as we start to wrap up, I want to briefly touch on what is your favorite episode in this first season? Uh, for me, it is going to have to be the, um, the final episodes of this, of this uh, season, The Siege of the North. The two-parter, The Siege yeah, of the North? Yeah, both parts together. Um, because they're listed as, as the same episode, so I'm going to classify them as the same episode. Yeah. But they release on the same day. Yeah. Purely because this is the very first time that we as an audience is really uh, given any sort of sense of change that happens in Aang, specifically as a protagonist. Um, that we are able to see his power at all. Um, like, like being able to see him become the monster. Mm-hmm. Um uh, is is extremely impactful. Uh, I mean, so so much character shit happens between all the protagonists. I think, like you said, it's tough to really mm-hmm. buy into any one specific episode because they there's really like just not many episodes that dive deep into the main characters. It's so much. It's very little about the main characters and so much about the the random people we meet on the way that the last episodes. The last episode um, is really the only time that that happens for us. Mm. What do you think? Of the last couple episodes? 
No, no, no. Of of what, what, what's your favorite? Okay. Um, I found my favorite episode to be the Blue Spirit episode, the the thirteenth episode. Yeah. The reason... Well, the, well, of course, because of your sizzle serve. Uh, yeah, because I think Zuko is so interesting. But what what yeah. makes this my favorite episode is that it's an episode about Zuko. Zuko says no more than ten words. True. True. That Zuko's actions say so much about him. So to to briefly just remind that Zuko saves Aang from a Fire Nation fortress that Zhao, once again, Zhao is controlling. So, but Zuko does this by putting on a blue mask and he has two swords. He never uses fire bending to go and save Aang, but he saves mm-hmm. Aang in order to get Aang, in order for him to receive the honor from his father that he lost. And he yeah. says no more than than 10 words. And so we once Aang discovers that it's Zuko, he saves Zuko and says to Zuko, "Do you think like 100 years ago like if we knew each other or if we were under better circumstances like we would be friends?" And that's just like ah. And you and remember then, that shit. Of course. Remember it. Of course. Of course. And then and then when he gets back on the ship, uh Zuko when he get back gets back on the ship then you just get this shot of him lying down in bed and like thinking about it and just that one shot like you don't need words for that shot because like you can already tell the change is bubbling beneath him and even though like he hasn't experienced that change yet the seed has been planted the seed um, has been planted so you like it because it's the beginning of Zuko's journey Zuko's journey, journey, and it's very clear. Zuko's journey of turning stuff around. Yeah. You Zuko stan. You're so funny. I'm a Zuko stan. I'm a Zuko stan. And not because, like, I've... Yes, go ahead. As we were going into watching this, the, the series recently, like, the full series all the way through, uh, I I turned to him and I was like, you would not believe who who has the most stan accounts out of every character in the show. And she guessed every fucking character before Zuko. And I was like, "Oh, that's absurd!" You wouldn't believe it, Emma, but by a landslide, there are more Zuko accounts, Zuko Stan accounts, than any other character in the series by by a far, far and wide margin. Because Zuko has the biggest potential of a growth of a character in this show. Yeah, it's just like it's just potential. And when you even like, let's say like, I don't think they do. I doubt that they do judging by what you just said, but let's just say that this show doesn't do, doesn't do his arc justice, right? Yeah. At the end of the day though, it right now his arc still has the biggest potential for something crazy yeah. and something very interesting. That's to true. And, and, and um, also one thing that this show does so well, and this is, this is going to be something that we're going to have to talk about whenever it comes to legend of Korra is that there's uh they handle questions really well. They handle they handle unknowns and they handle secrets really well. Because whenever you don't know something and it becomes ob- obvious mm. that you don't know something, it tells you, don't worry, you're not supposed to know that yet. And then all the characters get together and solve that problem as soon as possible. So whenever you have an unknown, you address it immediately. Whereas with Legend mm. of Korra and a lot of other problems with, with a lot of other series is that you get an unknown, you get a secret, you get a question. And then you're asked to just kind of hold on to that in the back of your head for a really long time before it's addressed again. And it's very good about setting things up and addressing them and then setting them up and then addressing them, mm. you know? So my final thoughts on this show yeah. 
I do recommend this show. I think it's an easy, bingeable watch. I think it's a good time. It's hard for me to ignore the potential of what this show has and what this show could be, and maybe it does reach that potential later on. But in terms of just looking at the first season, it's a nice, it's a fun watch. And at some points, too, you'll adjust yourself in your chair and like, oh, this is getting really interesting. And and I think this show displays a lot of growth, and it goes to show how much growth further this show can display. Mac? Um, I think that uh, speaking to the, the other side of the audience that has, that has already seen this show before, that maybe hasn't seen it again recently, um, it's not a matter of you rewatch it and you're like, oh, I just never saw this stuff before. Like, oh, like cool things you catch the second time. It is an entirely different show, 100% different show this time around as you're watching it um, at an older age, once you've learned a little more about about the, the world and about politics and, and, and about how things function, um, it, it becomes so clear that uh, the, these writers were well aware of what they were doing. Um, as they're writing mm-hmm. it, and 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 it's and it's very clever. So I highly recommend um, rewatching it for the for those mm-hmm. that would be. And so now, for next week, I was thinking of also doing something nostalgic, but nostalgic in a different way. Something that I still haven't seen, but it's nostalgic because it has to do with my home and where I come from. And so the the movie that we're gonna watch for next week is titled The Florida Project. And it's a movie? It is a... That is a movie. It is a 2017 film directed by Sean Baker starring Willem Dafoe. I don't know much about it, um, but the I remember seeing a trailer years ago and, like, two kids in the movie run past this ice cream place called Twisty Treat, and I love tis- Twisty Treat. They're all over uh, Florida. And so being from Orlando, and I think it takes place in Orlando as well. No idea if it's good. But we'll find out. I've always wanted to see it, and yeah, nostalgic in a different way. It's instead of this, it's nostalgic once again for childhood and home, and I think in many ways, like uh, Avatar uh, was to you, but also in a different way uh, in terms of nostalgia. But I wanted to explore that. Nevertheless, here we are, and here we are done. Mac, thank you again, and thank you, folks, for listening. Thank you. <laughs>